the book of Judges. I'll give you a little bit of a, a little bit of a recap in case you weren't here this morning. Uh, we'll be in Judges chapter seven here tonight. Uh, but um, this morning looked at uh, looked at the person of Gideon and the humility behind Gideon. And uh, I don't know what your thoughts are or were about Gideon before going into something like that. I know that just you start looking at some things about Gideon, and I always have kind of a uh, a negative impression, just the the way he kind of comes about things. The Lord tells him to do something. Okay, well, you know, then show me by the fleece. Show me by the fleece. Show me. Uh, show it to me wet. Show it to me dry. You know those types of things. But the first time that you see Gideon, uh, he's just threshing wheat. Uh, Gideon is not looking. He's not looking to go out and fight the Midianites. I mean, he's doing some stuff. He's hiding wheat from the Midianites. He's kind of part of maybe somewhat of what you would call an underground rebellion, something like that. But uh, he's not uh, down uh, at City Hall trying to rile people up and trying to get a, uh, a rebellion together to go and push the Midianites out. He's, uh, he's doing what little he can, but uh, he's not really looking for more than that until the Lord shows up. And when the Lord does show up in Judges chapter 6... Gideon's real quick to tell the Lord, listen, I don't know that I'm the guy here. Uh, I'm, listen, uh, my family's real poor. I, all I'm out here doing is just threshing wheat. Uh, I come from the smallest tribe of the tribes that we've got going on here. Uh, Lord, maybe you ought to find somebody else. Uh, but the Lord never corrects him. The Lord never says, uh, he says, oh, no, no, listen, let me, let me puff you up here a little bit. Uh, he doesn't correct him about any of those things, but you will notice the Lord doesn't spend any time arguing with him, but he does call him a man of valor. Uh, I believe there in Judges chapter 6, the Lord knew some things about Gideon that Gideon did not know about himself, nor did think about himself in that light. I think that that's probably commonly true uh, of ourselves and how the Lord thinks of us, that uh, sometimes we have kind of a humility about ourselves. We don't think much of ourselves, and that's okay. I'm not here trying to tell you that you're some great thing, but you might be surprised that uh, when it comes down to your service, the Lord might think more of you than you think of yourself. Uh, so also, you don't need to spend too much time down on the mat complaining about who and what you are and where you come from and, oh, I'm just nobody from nowhere. Yeah, you probably are nobody from nowhere. And I'm not going to correct that about you, but that's a good place to be. It's okay to be nobody from nowhere. The Lord likes nobodies. Amen? I'm not trying to tell you that you're somebody. You were nobody until Jesus Christ showed up for you. The only thing that makes you anything is Jesus Christ in you. The only, ma- the only thing in you that makes you a person of valor is Jesus Christ in you. And so it's not until the Lord shows up and picks Gideon that he becomes a mighty man of valor. And then in Judges chapter 6, uh, the Lord sends him to serve uh, you know, he's not a brave or bold man. The Lord tells him to go and tear down an idol, to tear down the altar of Baal, which was his daddy's altar. And uh, he does it in the middle of the night. And there's some real work involved when you look in Judges chapter 6, 22 through 33. Not only does he have to tear down an altar, but he has to cut down a grove. Uh, listen, I don't think he had a still series, you know, I don't know what the size of chainsaw you guys have got running, you know, 24-inch blade, something like that, just zipping on through there. Uh, I remember as kids, uh, we'd, uh, Daniel and I, we'd go play with the Overton boys. And, you know, we thought it would be real fun to go out back behind their place or back behind our place, and we'd have these little hatchets, and we'd cut down these little trees. I'm telling you what, you cut, we cut down some real little trees. You know what, because what we found out? Cutting down a big old tree with a little bitty hatchet's a lot of work. Uh, I don't know what uh, Gideon had to work with, and I know he had some guys with him, but boy, he put in some labor uh, to tear down that altar and to cut down that grove and build up another altar and then to uh, sacrifice not one but two bullocks on that thing. He had quite a night, uh, and somebody complained, well, he did that in the middle of the night like a coward, you know, so nobody would see him. Well, the Lord never told him that he had to do it during the day. Uh, Gideon never uh, was disobedient what the Lord told him to do. You say, well, you, you know, he did it the easiest way possible. Listen, I'll take somebody that will be obedient the easiest way possible uh, than to not be obedient at all. And uh, he went against his own family to do what it was that the Lord called him to do. Gideon I'll never find in anywhere in there where he says, well, that's my daddy's altar. 
uh, and you're going to turn my whole family against me, and you're going to turn my people against me, don't you think you ought to pick somebody else? I don't ever find anywhere in Judges chapter 6, 22 through 33, where Gideon looked for a way out of being obedient to God. And there's a lot of people around uh, in our day that look for a way uh, to get out of their obedience, uh, that uh, start to shirk responsibility whenever it becomes inconvenient to do so. So I'll give Gideon some credit, even though he tore down that altar and cut down that grove and built that altar and uh, offered those bullocks in the middle of the night. You say, well, during the, during the day, whenever they saw it, he never stepped forward and admitted to doing it. Yeah, but he also, whenever his dad said it was Gideon, didn't get up there and try to rebuke and try to get out of it and try to weasel out of it. And then by the time you get uh, to Judges chapter 6, verses uh, 34 through 40, uh, he tests the Lord a little bit. Uh, that's whenever you get into the fleece, you know, and uh, boy, Lord, if that's really what you want me to do, then, uh, then I guess let the, the fleece be wet and everything else around it be dry. And then the Lord does it. And he says, well, let me try you again here. Uh, let the, let the, fe- the fleece be dry and everything around it be wet. Uh, you know what? It's easy to stand on this side of all of these events and say, well, that's a pretty faithless way to go about it. Don't you think it'd been better if the Lord told him what to do and he just said, okay, hop to it, you know, yes, sir, and went out and just did it. Well, yeah, maybe, but I'll tell you what, uh, it doesn't stop him from going and doing what the Lord called him to do. And I'll say this, is that Gideon was at least uh, deeply interested in making sure that what he was about to do was absolutely 100% the will of God. Uh, So, Listen, uh, if you've got to maybe try the Lord on some things, and uh, maybe you need more than one verse of Scripture before you go and uh, put yourself on deputation to the mission field. (laughs) It would probably be good to take some time and make sure that what it is that you're going to do is the right thing to do, and that the Lord's actually calling you, and it's not you calling yourself, and you know, feeling like, oh, okay, this is maybe my decision. Listen, I'd want to make sure, especially in the day and age in which Gideon lived, that if I had a vision where the Lord spoke to me, that I just hadn't eaten a really bad burrito and was having, you know, indigestion, right? Uh, I'll tell you what an indigestion can't do. It can't make up for a fleece. And uh, so, uh, listen, uh, that's no different than what you get in the New Testament. You say, what are you talking about? Well, the Bereans went back after they heard from Paul, and they searched the scriptures to see whether or not the things that Paul said were true. What were they doing? Testing, trying, trying to make sure that what they were hearing was right, rather than just going along with whatever it is that they hear. Listen, I'd appreciate a lot of Christians uh, that would sit around and test and try what it is they hear. Because I run into a lot of Christians that listen to a lot of hooey on the radio and on the television set that never try the spirits, that never go back and look through the scriptures to see whether or not some of the foolishness that gets spouted uh, over the airwaves is true or not. Listen, uh, you'd be worth some of your time to put out a fleece and see whether or not there's somebody's lying to you. Uh, you ought to test and make sure that what I'm telling you isn't some lie. It doesn't matter who it is. Well, you know, I mean, he's been our pastor for four years now. I just trust whatever he says. You're a fool. You're a fool to trust whatever it is that I say. It better match up with that book. And listen, if what I have to say doesn't match up with that book, you shouldn't follow me ten steps. You shouldn't follow me at all. <laughs> you know, vote me out or whatever it is that a person does to get rid of somebody that doesn't uh, preach from that book. But that brings us to where we are now. Uh, if you're in here, look at Judges chapter 7, look at uh, starting verse 1. So that gets you uh, all, I guess, the brief recap. You say, man, if you could have said all that in the amount of time that, you know, we'd gotten out of here in five minutes this morning. I didn't know you could summarize your message in three or four minutes like that. What was it, seven minutes? Preach a seven-minute sermon right there. Say, so can we just do that tonight? No, we can't. You get the long version. <laughs> Okay, this is a six-point sermon. I can give you all six points this morning. I broke it up for you. You're welcome. Judges chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Then Jerubbabel, uh, that's what his daddy called him, uh, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of, Mid- of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Because listen, Gideon had enough people that if they'd won the battle, it would have been easy enough to say, Well, 
you know, we got a pretty bunch, we got a pretty good bunch of fighters there. We just kicked the Midianites out. We kicked the Midianites out. We won the battle. So the Lord says, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in you getting glory. I'm not interested in your people getting glory. Let me pause there for a second. Let me just say that again for, you know, I guess for the folks in the back. Listen, the Lord is not interested in you getting glory. You know what's the Bible say? He says that he will not share his glory with another. That includes you. That includes you. So if you're praying for something to happen, and uh, the byproduct is that you would be praised then you can just about count on it. The Lord's not interested in answering that prayer. I'll tell you what a great way to end your prayers is. Lord, that you may get glory and you alone. You, you know, listen, I'll say this um, uh, for Miss Karen. I think that the only person that, rece- that deserves glory for Miss Karen getting out of that hospital and out of that hospital bed and showing up to this church is God himself. You say, well, there's some good doctors. Well... Uh, I'll, the, then the Lord helped them doctors out. But it was God that brought that woman out of that hospital and brought her back here and allowed her to come home. That's God. God deserves the glory for that. Amen, amen, amen. That's a great way to pray a prayer. You want to get on God's side of things? Then if you're going to pray for something, then pray for something that only God can do. All right? Uh, let's see. There are too many... Uh, saying, mine own hand has saved me. Verse 3, now therefore, go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned to the people 22,000, and there remained 10,000. That means he started out with 23,000 people. And he says, who's afraid? And he watches 22,000 people leave the ranks. You know what, though? Here's the thing is that if he'd gotten into that battle and one of those fearful starts to turn around and run, you know what is contagious on the battlefield? Cowardice. Cowardice is contagious on the battlefield. You know, if he had taken those 23,000 in with the 22,000 that were afraid and about 500 of them began to flee, 500 turns into 1,000, 1,000, 2,000, 2,000, 4,000. Before he knows it, he's lost all 23,000 people due to a bunch of cowards. Right? And the Lord's saving him here a little bit. So if he wins the battle, the people get the glory. And if he takes the guys, and he's got a bunch of uh, fearful people there, they run the risk of messing up the whole operation. So the Lord's right in getting rid of these. But boy, if you're a Gideon, whose, whose idea none of this is. None of this is Gideon's idea. There's no Gideon's playbook. All right. Everything that Gideon has done up to this point, Gideon won't move unless the Lord tells him to. The Lord has to literally kick him forward and keep him moving into his plan. But boy, if you're a Gideon and you just tore down your daddy's altar and you figure everybody in your hometown's mad at you, wouldn't you be happy to see 23,000 people behind you on your side? Well, this is nice. It's nice to have some people on my side. The Lord says, that's too many. You just go ahead and ask him a question real quick. Uh, see who all is afraid. Anybody back there afraid? Oh, Lord, there are none of them afraid. 22,000 people walk out. Oh. Well, we got 1,000. <laughs> all right, Lord, what are we doing? Verse 4, and the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet too, too, too many. Too, too many, Lord. thousand peoples, too many. Okay. Bring them down to the water and I will try them there. Try, for thee, uh, try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee. The same shall go with thee of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee. The same shall not go. The Lord says, listen, you've got a thousand people left and that's too many. And if I say that these go, those go. And if I say these stay, these stay. Well, those are some pretty clear but unapologetic expectations from the Lord. See, the Lord doesn't, the Lord's not interested. Nowhere in there does He come along and coddle Gideon and say, you know, listen, buddy, it's, it's, it's all going to be okay. No, the Lord says, listen, uh, this is how it is. That this is what I want and this is how it's going to play out. And what I still don't see 
is I still don't see excuses from Gideon. I still don't see a rebuttal from Gideon. I still don't see, I don't think we can do this with a thousand, Lord. I'm not sure we could have done it with 23,000. You brought me down to a thousand, and then you're telling me that a thousand's not enough. Listen, all I'm trying to do is sound a little bit like our modern day average Christians would if we were in this situation. Right? Because I'm telling you, you put me in Gideon's shoes, and the Lord and I are having words about the numbers of people that we have left to fight this battle with. Because I can tell you what, listen, Lord, I was just out threshing wheat. I didn't ask for any of this. I just, listen, Lord, I'm just the son of a truck driver. I've not been to West Point, I've not been to a military academy. You got everybody in Unionville here mad at me. Uh, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Thinking about going and eating some worms. And listen, I'm still here. I'm still doing what you want to do. You threw out, I threw out the fleece. Everything looks good. I'm with you here, God. I don't want to do anything that's not your will. But boy, it's starting to get real over here. And there's a battle that's about to take place. And you're telling me a thousand guys is too many? And you're telling me that, listen, it's your way or the highway. And if you want somebody to go, they go. And if you want somebody to stay, they stay. Listen, Lord, I, I was hoping at least for something of a pep talk. I was hoping you'd build me up a little bit. I was hoping you'd encourage me. Keep going here. So it brought down, this is verse 5, the people to the water, and the Lord's in the Gideon, everyone. It goes on down through there. Uh, everyone that lappeth the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink, and the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. Basically what he's seeing is he's seeing guys coming down to the river and there's these guys, I mean these thousand guys, they are parched, they're thirsty, it's a hot day. They come down to the rivers and they just dunk themselves in. They're just, just throwing it up in their face. Right? 700 of them are. I mean they're parched, they're thirsty. It's the quickest way I can get the water into my mouth. There's about 300 guys that got spear in hand and they bend down like this. They cup that water in their hand and they come up and... What are they doing? That's tactical. They're watching to see the man. Those Midianites are everywhere. You got a bunch of guys that all they're interested in doing is getting a drink. 700 of them just interested in uh, satiating that thirst. Right? You ever been to the state fair? Somebody hand you a glass of lemonade? <sighs> Gone. All right? Then you got the guy that's got the big old bottle of water and he's <sighs> sipping it. Sipping it. Why? Because this has got to last. <laughs> Right? Looking around, making sure. I, I think you see a dad at a state fair, that man is tactical. Right? Especially if he's got more than two kids. Right? Got a wife there, you got more than two kids. Where are you? You spend the entire time counting. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Just watching. Watching. Everybody together? Everybody together. All right, with me. With me. <laughs> right? Man, I, I get like that at Walmart, right? Where, where are they? Have you, seen the, have you seen the little... We're here at church. Have you seen Enoch? Where's Enoch at? Right? Tactical. So these 300 guys that are watching, bringing that water up to their mouth and drinking, these are guys that are taking the situation seriously. And the number of them that laughed, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men, but all the rest, the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go, every man to his place. The Lord, I, I, I've said this a thousand times, the Lord likes an underdog match. The Lord likes getting it down to impossible odds because with three hundred men, it doesn't matter if these are the Navy SEALs of their day. They are outnumbered. And so if they win the battle, nobody's going to walk around and say, man, those 300 guys were something special. What they will say is, man, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He saved those boys. And it's time we get back to the Lord. Gideon was right in tearing down that altar of Baal, and he was right to offer that sacrifice to the Lord He's trying to turn us back to the Lord our God. That's the right thing to do. Gideon is already scared. 
He knows he isn't qualified for any type of military incursion. He's a wheat thresher, the least of his family, one of the smallest families. And now because of everything in town, he doesn't have family or friends behind him. But boy, at least he had the comfort of 23,000 men to fight fight and die beside him. And the Lord tells him that's too many. And you go down to verse 12 and there's a picture of what they're up against down in... uh, Judges chapter 7, verse 12. It says, And the Midianites and the Malachites and all the children of the east lay along uh, in the valley like grasshoppers for multitudes, and their camels were without number as the sand of the seaside for multitude. It doesn't even give a number for what Gideon's up against. It says they're like grasshoppers. I mean, it's like sand on the seashore. We couldn't even get all the camels counted. But boy, you can count 300 people fairly easily. You ask Eliza, Eliza can count to 300, right? I think Levi can count to a Googleplex, so they should have been the one counting to counting the Amalekites. That's what he's up against. And the Lord tells Gideon he still has too many, and you're not to told how many leave the next time, but he's left with 300 men. 700 walk out of there. Here's the important part to get out of all of this. Gideon never says a word. Gideon doesn't argue with the Lord. Up to this point, the only words you hear Gideon say are in reference to his humility and being sure of the Lord's will. Nowhere do you hear Gideon correct God or look for a way out. I tell you what, uh, if I was in Gideon's shoes, I'm just going to tell you, uh, I worried that I would be looking for a way out. Not only are you reading the humility of Gideon, but wherever you thought there was a lack of faith, listen, what you're reading is faith where the rubber meets the road. You may complain about you know, whether or not he was a man of faith when he asked for the fleece twice, but it's Gideon's neck who's on the line against the camels like grasshoppers and the, man, and the men that are as the sand of the sea on the side of the seashore. It's Gideon that's going to be left with whoever he's left with to go out and fight. You know, I think it's, a, it's an important thing to remember that, listen, your faith is always built up when it costs you something. I think some of, the, some of the greatest men and women of God in our day and age are missionaries. And they come in here, and they present, And we look at them and we ask them questions and we support them and we pray for them. But listen, in the end, it's them that's packing up their families and going to some place that is not home where they don't have mom and dad and a big support system. And they're down to just that little 300. And it's them and the Lord. They say, well, will I ever experience that? Listen, I don't think you ought to be a missionary to experience that, but I think the truth is is that if you never put yourself out into a position uh, where your faith costs you something, where you put your faith out there so that uh, you're in a situation that only God can do it, then you'll never know what it's like to be Gideon. You'll never know what it's like to be a missionary. I'm not telling you that you're called to be a missionary. Maybe you are. But your faith should cost you something. The reason I think that a lot of Christians, their faith never cost them anything is because they never put it up against anything. They keep their faith locked down and hidden to the point where nobody really knows that they're a Christian. They never push themselves out there. They never get in any kind of conflict. Listen, the Bible says as much as possible, live peaceably with all men. But uh, here's the truth. The world is fastly moving in on you, right? You live in kind of a bubble here in Unionville, Missouri, but listen, that bubble gets smaller and smaller all the time, and things that used to be in Kansas City and St. Louis and Des Moines are now here. And you're going to have to learn how to defend yourself 
and how to use your faith and how to use that Bible and come to a point where, listen, I'm not letting that stuff into my home. Uh, I'm not letting people talk like that around me and my family. I'm going to put my faith out there and I'm going to put Jesus Christ out there. I'm going to put the Word of God out there and I'm going to stand my ground even if there's not that many around me. And you might find that the Lord takes little old you, nobody from nowhere, and turns you into a mighty man and woman of valor. Gideon never says a word. You might think from his request with the fleece that Gideon doesn't have much faith, but he never moves towards the door to get out of it. He doesn't give a list of higher qualified men like Moses did. Man, Moses, uh, I, I can't speak well, but uh, my brother Aaron, can we, can we use Aaron? The Lord concedes and gives him Aaron. Uh, he doesn't uh, request to go back and say goodbye to his family like Elisha did. As far as Gideon knew, he had no family to go back and say anything to. He doesn't argue and get bitter with God like Jonah. He doesn't try to go get on a boat to Tarshish. You would have a hard time arguing with him if he did. He doesn't run off and pout like Elijah and say, Oh Lord, nobody's left to, to serve and nobody, everybody's bowed down to Baal except me. <laughs> oh, Gideon's there and he can point to at least 23,000 guys that are willing to stand there. Maybe a bunch of them are afraid. He can point to a thousand guys that uh, aren't afraid and he can point to 300 guys that are mighty men of valor ready to go and fight. Gideon may test God, but get this. He never gets testy with God. Let me say that again. Gideon may test God, but he never gets testy with God. Go, if you will, to... Judges chapter 8, and just look at verse 4. It says in Judges chapter 8, verse 4, it says, And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him, faint, yet pursuing them. Faint, yet pursuing them. I'll tell you that Gideon humbly strives. A couple of things here can be seen in just these few verses. Gideon stays humble even after the victory has been decided. You can look and we'll start again in verse 1. It says, And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou hast called us not, when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide him sharply. And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abizer? He's of Abizer. God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, or of Benzeb, and what am I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated towards him uh, when he had said that. And Gideon came to Jordan, passed over, and the 300 men that were with him, and faint yet pursuing. See, Ephraim was like, why didn't you ask us out to come and fight? I always think that that's, uh, if you've ever witnessed to somebody and got, you know, maybe even led them to Christ, or even just started witnessing. To, it's been an amazing thing to me. I remember it happened a lot in high school. Me and my friend Nathan Kotwitz would be over here, and we'd be witnessing to somebody. And lo and behold, out of nowhere, three or four people from the Christian church are, doesn't he know he has to be baptized? Listen, if you wanted to give him your gospel, you had all the time in the world to do it, but the moment we try to get in and get this kid saved, now you're interested in whether or not he's baptized. You weren't interested if he was baptized for the last year and a half. Ephraim, shut your mouth. <laughs> That's Ephraim. Ephraim is always you know, put out after the victory is won of why didn't I get asked to fight in the battle? Well, listen, if the Lord was interested in having you here, don't you think you would have been here? Don't you think you would have been invited? You know, I'll tell you this. If you want to get used of God, show up. Let the Lord decide. <laughs> you want to get you Listen, you, you know, an easy way to not get choose to be a part of God's victories, just don't show up. 
Just wait for something better to come along. Always be looking for something better. If you're just always looking for something better or looking for a way out, you will always find something better and you will always find a way out. There is always something, quote-unquote, better to do than to serve Christ. Because I'll tell you what, serving Christ is hard and it's inconvenient and it always happens at the worst possible times. Listen, the ball games, the great ball games are always on Sundays, folks. Are they not? The NASCAR race is on Sunday. The Super Bowl's on Sunday. All your big games are Sunday night football, man. Got the basketball game on. Kids got, kids got ball games on Wednesdays and Sundays, don't they? I'll tell you what. You might miss out on the ball game. But boy, when you're here, you won't have to worry about missing out on what God did while you were here. I would rather not miss out on what God's doing and miss out on what's going on on the court or the field. Or anywhere else for that matter. This is the game, man. This is where the important stuff happens. I don't want to miss this. I don't want to miss revival. I know we had revival. I don't want to miss any of it. I don't want to miss somebody else's revival. <laughs> Listen, I'm excited that Brother Crutchfield's got Brother Peacock going. If I can be there every night, I want to be there. Listen, if you're driving, I'll ride. I'm driving, you ride with me. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss God doing something. Listen, I'm, I'm envious of Whitney and Barney. They got to be where Brother Peacock was for youth camp. I would like to have been there. They've got this stuff on YouTube. But let me just say this about YouTube. It's never the same as being there. It's never the same. right? It's not the same as being here. Listen, I'd rather be part of the ten that are here than part of the 150 that are not here, wherever it is that they are having a good time. I'm not trying to be hard. Maybe I'm trying to be a little hard on you. But you got Ephraim complaining about not being part of the battle. Listen, when all of the gathering of the 23,000 was going on, where's Ephraim? No, they kept Ephraim out. They just didn't show up. You want God to use you, show up. He humbly strives. Now listen, there is some real wisdom in what Gideon says. He says, listen, what, what's the people of Abizar compared to Ephraim? I mean, you guys are a great big old tribe. What, you know, Lord's delivered people into your hands. We're nothing compared to you. <laughs> and they're abated. You know why? Because everybody likes their ego stroked. Gideon stays humble even after the victory. He esteems his accusers above himself. Man, that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Well, you're so, I mean, you're, I mean, you're greater than I am. It's a hard thing to humble yourself. Gideon could have read them the riot act and shut them up for good, but he didn't. Why? Because what's more important than what Ephraim thinks is the fact that they still have guys that they're chasing after. There is still a fight to be fought and there's still a victory to be won. And Gideon does not have time to argue with Ephraim. The, the battle is not with Ephraim. The battle is with the Amalekites. So every moment I spend arguing with Ephraim is a minute that the Amalekites are getting further away. What does that come back to? Well, New Testament, it comes back to this. Uh, that our enemies, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. In Ephesians chapter 6, you find that your enemies our principalities and powers and spiritual darkness in high places. Listen, you get other Christians that bicker back and forth with you and, and bite each other. Listen, don't waste time with it. Because the battle that is important is more, more important than Christians backbiting with each other. All right, whatever. Let's go and serve God. Right? The... the the job that God has you to do is more important than what anybody thinks of you. I mean, I know that it might get over-preached, but you've got about five or six things that you need to do. Okay? You need to read your Bible every day. You need to pray every day. Right? I don't know, hopefully, I don't have to give you all the verses of Scripture on this. You need to show up for church. You need to tithe. You need to witness. And everything else that's done is typically contained in those five things. Right? Nowhere in there is arguing with the brethren that don't like you. 
If you're trying to do right, you know what you will find out? There will be more than enough brethren that don't like you. Because you know what doing right always comes with? A guilty conscience and the conviction of the Holy Spirit on a person that's not doing right. And they'll accuse you for doing right. Well, why didn't, why didn't you invite me to go street preaching? I was just going street preaching. I don't need to invite anybody. Plenty of street corners out here if you want to go preach on the street. Listen, we don't have to have some great big organized thing. If you want to go preach on the street, go preach on the street. Nobody's stopping you. That's between you and the Lord. It doesn't have to be some organized thing. You want to pass out a gospel track? I mean, do we have to have a committee of, let's get all the gospel tracks together and get them distributed out to everybody and, and we'll record who passed out how many. Listen, it ought to be between you and the Lord. Nobody's checking in. To, I, I know that it's on the little pink envelopes, but nobody writes it down here and I'm glad that nobody does. I don't need to know whether or not you read your Bible this week. I don't need to know how much money you tied. I don't even need to know that you showed up Sunday. All of that is between you and the Lord. And if you're doing right, the Lord will give you fruit and you'll get victory. And bless God, there'll be somebody that's not doing those things, that isn't getting any victory. This, well, why didn't you invite me along to do that? VBS is the exact same way. We'll have meetings all year long and then somebody will get upset because they weren't invited to help with VBS. And then four or five kids get saved. Well, I didn't get to be a part of that. Well, listen, if you didn't get to be a part of it, it's because you didn't Inject yourself. <laughs> you want to be a part of it? Be a part of it. You'll find out all year long about it. <laughs> She's already got stuff going on right now. <laughs> Listen, even if there wasn't some organized thing, I could tell you you could do this. Nobody's going to stop you from knocking on doors and inviting kids to VBS or knocking on doors and inviting people to revival. Well, it wasn't, we didn't organize it. We didn't set up a time for that. We didn't, you know, get a committee together to go knock on doors. Who needs a committee? Go and do. There's somebody you want to go and witness to? You say, I don't think I'm equipped to go and witness to him. Well, then grab me or grab somebody else and go witness to him. We don't have to have a meeting. We get, I don't know if it's our Baptist nature, we've got to have a meeting about everything. You don't have to have a meeting to go and do right. You don't have to check in to do right. You don't have to ask your pastor to do right. Certainly, when you've done right and you've gotten some victory, somebody will say, well, why didn't I get included? Yeah. Well, listen, if you're worried about getting including, include yourself. Or go and do something that nobody else is doing. You know? Uh, we don't have to have a meeting. If you, want to write a, if you want to write down your testimony and put the Gospel in it, and put that thing in an envelope, and mail it to some random person from the phone book, Nobody is stopping you. You can do a thousand of them. You do, you do four a day. You, you do three a day, and you'd hit a thousand people in a year. Amen? Nobody's stopping you from fighting the Amalekites. Nobody was stopping Ephraim from fighting the Amalekites. But listen, if somebody's going to get upset with you for doing right, just say, listen, I'm sorry. And then go on and keep doing right. You see, the men of Ephraim are his brothers in the faith. They're wrong, but they're still brothers. Our enemy is not the other members of this church. Our enemy is not the members of other churches. Our enemy is not the members of other denominations. Our enemy is not even that lost world out there. Our enemy, our adversary in our fight is against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual weakness in high places. That's the fight. That's, there's your Amalekites. Go after them, man. Secondly, he doesn't let the brethren stop him or even slow him down. And he doesn't complain that they're getting, of, getting on their horses to come help. Gideon and his men are exhausted from their fight. They're about to faint. And they're not going to get any help from anyone as you'll see if you read verses 5 and 6. Look. And he said unto the men of Succoth, Give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint, and I'm pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. And the princes of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in thine hand? that we should give bread unto thine army. And Gideon said, Therefore, 
when the Lord hath delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into mine hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. They're not, he doesn't get any help anyway. Listen, folks, when to do right, you're very often not going to get any help doing right. But they continue. They continue to finish the task the Lord gave. Notice that the Lord didn't call those 300 men. The Lord called Gideon. And they followed. They were loyal to him. Men follow men. And good men follow called men. If you think the men that lead this church are called, then follow. There's nothing wrong with that. You know what Paul said? Paul said, be ye followers of me as I am a follower of Christ. There's nothing wrong with following a man that's following Christ. If you think Barney and I are following Christ, then there's nothing wrong with following us. People in the lost world will be loyal through crazy situations. Right? I've heard about uh, a man in a professional world that's made a mistake. Messed up. Could have got somebody killed. And I have listened to people defend that man and his mistake. Why? Because they're loyal to that man. Listen, I'll say in the ministry one thing that I have seen, not necessarily in this church, but in churches, that is often failing our congregations, that the moment that they disagree with the man that stands behind the pulpit, they are ready to eviscerate him and his wife and his family. I want to tell you what, when you stand behind that pulpit, whether you recognize it, and if the Lord ever gives you the opportunity to stand behind a pulpit and preach a sermon, just be ready for this. There will be a target that is placed on the person that preaches in that pulpit. It is a comforting thing to preach in a church where the people are loyal to the preacher. I'm not telling you I deserve that or that Barney deserves that. All I'm saying is that if you think that we're following Christ, it's okay to be loyal to that person because you're being loyal to Christ. The Lord did not call Gideon's 300 men. The Lord called Gideon and those 300 men followed. Thirdly, notice how many men are still with him in verse 4. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over he and the how many men? Those, that's the exact same number of men that were called from the river. I don't know if you think that that's interesting or not. But to me, that's significant because that means that they fought in a battle against camels like grasshoppers and numbers like sands of the sea and He's only got 300 men, and as far as I can tell, they fought in the battle, and the bad guys are on the run, and Gideon still has 300 men. He didn't lose any. From the appearance of this, he didn't lose a single guy. He went into that battle with 300 men, and when it's over, and all that's left is to finish off the enemies kings who have fled the field of battle he still has each in every one of those men who went with him you i've probably overquoted it it's a verse in proverbs that says that the horse is prepared against the day of battle but what safety is of the lord for those 300 men that followed that man the safest place for them to be was behind that man. Going into battle, swords bared. Right? Right.
The point is this, is, is that when the Lord calls you to do something and you go and do it on faith, the Lord keeps his promises. He promised Gideon that he would fight for him, and the Lord did. When you serve the Lord, the Lord will fight your battles. I do not want to fight my own battles. Because I can't, I'm not equipped to fight my own battles. I, I have found in, in years as a Christian, both professionally and in the ministry, that the Lord fights battles in the background while I think I'm doing something. Judges chapter 8, verses 21 through 23, the last of what I want to cover here. Judges eight twenty one. it says, Then Ziba and Zalmunna said, Rise thou and fall upon us. For as the man who is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and slew Ziba and Zalmunna and took away the ornaments that were on their camels' necks. And the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. That is a rare man. Because I very rarely, and you very rarely, see a man that when the people praise him, Gideon, you're so great. You should be our king. And man, not only that, but we're so happy with you that if something happens to you, we're just gonna, your whole family is just going to rule over us from now to the end. What a temptation. What a seduction. What a material. I mean, this guy just two chapters ago was threshing wheat in secret. And then called to go and fight an army without number. And now they want him to be king. This was a guy who took down the altar of Baal in the middle of the night. Presumably because he was afraid of what the people would think if they saw him do it during the day. And now those people that he was afraid of want him to be king. And what he has to say is, I'm not going to be your king. And I don't even want my son to be your king. I don't know how old his son was. You imagine, imagine being in Gideon's position and saying this. I'm not going to be your king and my son's not going to be your king. I can see Ezra, hold on a second. There, sir. (laughs) I'd like to be king. (laughs) Look at those last words. The Lord shall rule over you. That is what should always take place. That is the best form of government that has ever existed is when God is in charge. I don't mean godly men in charge. I don't mean a saved president. I don't mean Baptist senators and governors. I mean God. I'm not looking forward to election season. I don't care who announces that they're running. The only one that gets us out of this mess is Jesus Christ. When Gideon is given a chance to rule, when he is finally acknowledged for his acts, the way any one of us would dream of being acknowledged, finally all those things I did for God in secret are now brought into the light and Everybody is ready to glorify and honor me and give me praise and put me on a pedestal and let me rule over them. What a great thing. Because, and listen, you could easily justify it. Well, listen, you know, I've been following God through all this. Maybe it's God's will for me to rule over these people. And as long as I'm obedient to God, then, then I'll be a good judge and I'll, I'll be a good ruler over them. That'd be better than somebody doing a bad job of it, right? See how mankind has a way of justifying himself into a position that he never should have been. See, because what you're looking at here is still the book of Judges. Right? After that's Ruth, 
And then 1 Samuel, right? So they're not even going to get a king until Saul. Whenever they shouldn't get a king until David. They're a long ways out from David. Whatever you can say about Gideon, whatever you may not like about Gideon, maybe you're fine with him, but boy, I, in humanistic, materialistic terms, there's a lot you look at him and may not be the most desirable thing, but boy, is a Christian. What a mighty man of valor to say, I don't want to rule over you, and my son's not going to rule over you. It needs to be God who rules over you. Gideon humbly declines. Gideon places the crown upon the one worthy of the honor, the Lord. You will never, ever, ever, ever be wrong giving God honor and glory and praise. Because that's what you were made to do. Here's what you need to realize. The honor always goes to the Lord. John chapter 15, verse 51 says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Whatever good you accomplish today, give the honor to the Lord. Whatever honor you accomplish tomorrow, whatever great thing you do tomorrow, I don't care if uh, you know, you're just working in your garden and you pluck a tomato off a vine... Glorify God in it. Because I don't care. I mean, you'd be out there with uh, miracle grow. Ain't nothing pop up on that vine without God say so. I think the Lord is looking for some men and women, boys and girls, to do something great for Him. But if habits and patterns show anything, it's that He looks for and uses certain kinds of people. I think the first qualifying factor in being used of God is humility. The Lord uses a phrase twice in Scripture, and I think it's a good practice to listen up when God repeats himself. This is what he says in Proverbs 15, 33. He says, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. If there's a trait we need to learn... To have, and to have a genuine, not a fake, not a feigned, not a made-up version of, but a sincere version of, it's humility. Because the Lord honors the humble. The Lord uses the humble. You say, I'm nobody from nowhere. Good. The Lord can use you. And if the world needs something right now, it needs Christians that are used of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, uh, Lord, thank you for the book, and Lord, thank you for Gideon. Thank you for using that man. Thank you for using those kinds of men and women, God. Lord, help us to be men and women of God like Gideon. Lord, humble. Lord, willing to give you the honor in all things. Lord, uh, steadfast on our desire to be in your will, God. Lord, uh, maybe testing you, but never being testy with you. Oh, I pray that you find, Lord, in a church, even small as this one, Lord, folks that you can use to do something great for you, Lord, that you might receive greater honor and greater praise and greater glory. These things we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's